we continue our discussion of a question that we believe God takes particularly great delight in. What do we know about the loving kindness and mercy of God from the Bible? We have quoted the interesting text in Isaiah 54, 8, With everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. In our consideration of this great theme, which we believe lies closest to the heart of God and comes the closest to manifesting the essential nature of God, we have seen a threefold progression of thought. First of all, that God is love, or the essential purpose of his being is that of perfect benevolence. Because of this love, there has come to be in the disposition of God an overflow of kindness and tenderness toward man. Man is totally undeserving of God's mercy. Nevertheless, the abounding love of God has overflowed toward him. And thirdly, we believe that this essential nature cannot contain itself without manifestations. And so there have come numerous acts of God's manifested mercy. In the development of this theme, of the manifestations of this great inner consciousness of God, we saw that God's patience and long-suffering and forbearance with rebellious men exercised great slowness toward uh, judgment and the manifestation of his righteous indignation, or that God has delayed the righteous punishment that rebellious man so deserves. But in the third place, God has done more than have tolerated rebellious man in patience, long-suffering, and forbearance. He has done more than delay the execution of his righteous judgment. God, in his abundant kindness, has taken positive steps to reconcile man to himself in the forgiveness of sins, and has rejoiced over these great overtures of mercy. In the first place, it should be clearly understood that God was not in any sense obligated to forgive man's sin and restore him to favor. God's exercise of mercy, therefore, is purely voluntary and sovereign. No man can in any way claim or demand mercy. This should be a fixity in our minds and should lead us to a proper attitude in seeking the Lord. We have no claim whatsoever to claim salvation by faith or any other means. It is only appropriate that we humble ourselves before the great God of the heaven in his great love and righteousness and take an appropriate attitude toward him. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, we read these instructive words. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercised loving kindness judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So here is the positive assertion that we as sinners 
in repenting from our sins may truly know of a surety of the mercy and kindness of God, and in this should be our rejoicing. In the 33rd chapter of Exodus and verse 19, we read these words, And he said, God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, referring to Moses in his great request for the manifestation of God's glory. God in great kindness condescended to bless his servant in a special way. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So man has no claim whatsoever upon the mercy of God. He can only humbly petition the great God of the heaven to extend his mercy and his kindness. But in no sense can man demand the mercy of God. Psalm 77, verses 7 to 9. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. So here we have the evidence that God is not obligated to manifest his kindness and forgiveness, but that we must look to him with a great question mark as to whether he will manifest his forgiving mercy or not. Of course, the manifestations of the gospel have established God's voluntary basis upon which he will forgive sin. And upon these precious promises of the gospel, we may come with an expectation that we might never have had otherwise. But we are now speaking upon the basic manifestation of the mercy of God, that God was in no sense obligated to be merciful to rebellious man. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13 we read, Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, God is speaking to Jeremiah, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Here is a pattern of salvation. If sinners are going to be forgiven and receive the glorious manifestations of God's mercy, they simply must acknowledge their iniquity. They simply must confess themselves as sinners. There is no other possibility of ever being saved. But here we have it manifested that God is sovereign in the exercise of his mercy. Further, in the 16th chapter of Jeremiah, God is again speaking to the prophet. Verse 5, For thus saith the Lord, Enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament nor bemoan them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, saith the Lord, even loving kindness and mercies. So here God, for good and wise reasons, namely their extreme rebellion 
an unwillingness to heed his kind pleadings of mercy, he has taken away the area of forgiveness for the time being. And so God is sovereign in this, and no man can complain. We come to the New Testament, and in the ninth chapter of Romans, we have a specific reference back to Exodus 33:19, And in verse 15 of Romans 9, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So here is again asserted through the Apostle Paul the fact that God is not obligated to extend mercy. Therefore we as sinners must humble ourselves in utter repentance, beseeching God for the extension of his loving kindness and tender mercy. But now we proceed happily to this narrated fact of Scripture, that it is the wonderful fact that again and again God has brought deliverance from fear, rejoicing and happiness to multitudes in the free and merciful forgiveness of their sins and the reconciliation of such repentant sinners to himself. As has been affirmed, God in it is in his peculiar delight when he speaks of his mercy. It is so natural for God to exercise mercy. It is so unnatural for God to exercise judgment because of his long-suffering and kindness. But nevertheless, his righteousness must perceive the necessity of dealing with man according to his situation. And thus it was in the days of Noah when the sin of men developed so strongly we're told that every imagination of the thoughts of man's hearts was only evil continually. But here was Noah, as we read in the sixth chapter of Genesis and verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here is a narration of God's mercy and forgiveness extended to Noah. Of course, he went on to serve the Lord so faithfully for these 120 years as he built this huge ark and was a preacher of righteousness, we are told, in the New Testament. We come to this noble character, Joseph, and in the 39th chapter of Genesis, in verse 21, we read concerning God's extension of kindness to him. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Here is a narration that Joseph humbled himself before God, and God was with him and extended mercy to him. In connection with the giving of the Ten Commandments on the Mount, as recorded in the 20th chapter of Exodus, and verse 6, we have it narrated that God showed mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here, incidentally, the mercy of God comes to those who turn from their sin. But here is a fact uh, uh, set forth that this mercy was extended unto thousands. Further, in the 34th chapter of Exodus and verse 7, we read a similar account. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. 
So God is in the most natural expression of his glorious personality in the forgiveness of sinners. In the 14th chapter of Numbers, verses 19 to 21, we read these words as this humble intercession is set forth by Moses. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So here is a narrated account that God had pardoned according to his word. Isn't it remarkable that we have these instances of the Bible that record the mercy of God, God facing the sin of man as it really is, and by the grace of Jesus Christ as forethought and foreplanned, as Jesus should die for the sins of the whole world, and through faith in the coming Savior, men were forgiven, received mercy from God. Our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee at this hour, thanking Thee for these accounts we have read about Thy mercy and Thy tenderness. How we pray that many may turn from sin, acknowledge it, confess it, humble themselves because of it, come to Jesus Christ by faith, find free forgiveness, restoration, and happiness now and forever. For this is Thine own heart, in Jesus' name, amen.